Welcome to the Rachel Quizup Show. In today's episode, I'm speaking with an incredible human, Claire Panacea. Claire is all about helping neurodiverse online entrepreneurs absolutely nail their content marketing in a way that is fun for them to create, works with their brains, and strategically sells their offers without being manipulative or gross. Today, we're talking about running a business and creating content as a neurodiverse human and honoring that humanity. I know you're going to get so much from this conversation with Claire, so let's dive in. so excited to talk with you today about running a business as a neurodiverse person. Many of my clients and community identify as neurodiverse and are looking for strategies and tactics and ways of doing things that honors the way their brain works and their natural way of being. And I know that's what you're all about. So before we dive into all of your tips and advice, I'd love for you to explain what neurodiverse means for listeners who perhaps haven't heard of this term before or just seen it on the internet and feel free to share any parts of your story that feels good for you too. Yeah, totally. I'm super excited to be here too. Um, So neurodiverse, neurodiversity, being neurodivergent, that all refers to neurodiversity is this idea that like um, kind of there are no bad brains. Uh, All of our brains work slightly differently and that's good. And that's okay. And there's, it's also about um, like developmental disorders, learning disorders, that kind of thing are like they're technically and medically considered disorders, but that they're not bad. They're just differences rather than disorders. Um, So that's what neurodiversity is all about. Um, Usually it refers to learning and developmental disorders like ADHD, autism, uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, all of these other things. I personally also consider anxiety and depression to be part of the neurodiversity soup. Um, although I don't know if that's a universal like thing. Um, so yeah, that's what being neurodiverse or being neurodivergent is all about. I love that you also included anxiety and depression because I too include that when I'm Mm. thinking about this, because it does have a huge impact on some of the advice I would give a client, the ways that they want to move through the world, what feels good for them. So I love that you've like also shared that. And I know in the past you've talked about like, you know, comically, but also in a serious way, like ADHD and anxiety for you and how Mm -hmm. that's like played into your business. Do you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I talk a lot about my ADHD. My, my journey with ADHD has been really interesting because like six years ago, seven years ago, um, my therapist one day was like, so, uh, I think you might be ADHD. And I was like, no, that, no, what? (laughs) No. She's like, well, okay. Just, just like, here's some books, do some research. And me being the Ravenclaw that I am just ate up all the research and, let my, I'm a slow processor as well. I consider that to be also part of the soup. Um, and so I let everything like percolate and stew in my brain. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. I think I may be ADHD. And, uh, I, um, but then I could not. So the, because of my insurance situation and insurance is all fucked up. Am I allowed to swear on here? 
You can swear. Let's go for it. Okay, great. Because insurance is all fucky in the US, um, I the like psychiatrist that I was able to go to, I couldn't go to one person that my therapist recommended. So I went to a different person and they like refused to, to diagnose me as ADHD. But I was like, but, 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 but I am <laughs> like, I know it. And, um, that's actually not uncommon, especially for adult women or those who were socialized as women because of the different way, like ADHD is something that is relatively recent, recently accepted in the medical field. And like, you know, there were all these preconceptions in the nineties when I was a kid, it meant like in the, in the common understanding of it, it meant hyper boys. And I remember like people believed that ADHD went away, like you outgrow it. And that's actually not true. There are like actual biological physiological differences in the way your brain like physically exists like different areas of your brain are different sizes. There are actual physiological differences. It's not all in our heads, even though it's literally actually in your head. But um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So, um, haha, <laughs> uh, demonstrating ADHD. Um, yeah. So for a while I actually wasn't able to get an official diagnosis, which meant I couldn't get medication. And I had to, I was running my business. It was the very beginning of my business actually. And I had to figure out how to run my business, uh, with just regular coping mechanisms. So I did all this research on, um, coping with or like strategies. I bought books. I did all this research on strategies for existing as an adult with ADHD and put them into play. And some of them came and some of them went and they'd work for six months and then they'd stop working or I'd forget it and I'd have to reinstitute it. And that's perfectly normal and all okay. Um, but it's also, um, and also with how the anxiety comes in, it's really interesting because anxiety is all, <laughs> anxiety is all about like, at least for me, it's like, I don't like change, but then my ADHD is like, I'm bored. <laughs> and so I have to figure out a way to kind of, I, I like to think of it as two different like characters in my head or two different cats. Um, they're like little pets that I just have to keep happy and they have different needs but I have to like keep them living in the same house, which is my brain. And I make that work. I think that's a beautiful analogy. And many of my clients, you know, have anxiety, depression, childhood trauma. I know mm-hmm. I do. And so it does sometimes feel like you are trying to please multiple parts of yourself. And I think in business, it can sometimes be hard to do that, especially when mm-hmm. we have most of the internet I'm going to generalize but it really feels like that lately to me and I think a lot of listeners and a lot of the speakers I've had on most of the internet is saying you can or can't do something and it's very sort of that for and against type of advice like you should only create when you're excited you're going to have to create even if you aren't excited and it's like well how does that sort of like help any of us let alone some of us who are like you said you know trying to make quite a lot of elements of our personality and our lifestyles and everything kind of align. And I saw that you coined a term 
neuroidentity to help <laughs> us navigate really crappy advice like this online. <laughs> Do you mind speaking to this term and why you felt called to address this issue? Yeah. So neuroidentity was interesting. I came up with that term when I was in a conversation, in like a drunken conversation with some friends having wings. This was pre-COVID. And um, one of our, one of us was not me, super extroverted and like needs to have that like interpersonal connection with more than just her partner that she lives with on the daily. Whereas I'm an introvert, I'm a very social introvert, but I am an introvert. And so I have like max one social encounter a week. And um, so we were talking about, and then we were also talking about ADHD and we were talking about anxiety and depression. And when I folded, we started incorporating introversion and extroversion into the conversation as another element that has to be considered. I said, it's just another part of your neuroidentity. And it just fell out of my mouth. And I was like, bing, bing, bing. Oh my God. So good. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is great because neurodiversity as a like officially accepted term, especially medically, like does it refer to specific things, but neuroidentity, my intention with that is there's other stuff going on in the soup of your brain than just your quote unquote disorders. And so there, those are also things that we have to take into consideration when you're setting up your systems and figuring out what works for you, like your introversion or extroversion, like um, your Myers-Briggs type, or like I mentioned that I'm a Ravenclaw, like all of those things have to be taken into consideration as well. I think that's such a good point. I'm an extrovert and being in lockdown in Melbourne really, really affected me where my partner is introverted. It was like, sweet. I don't need to go out. I don't need to talk to anyone. And I love again, that you created this term because I think, you know, when I reflect on the last few years and some of my challenges and difficulties, it doesn't mm -hmm. fit naturally into, like you said, a disorder, but me being extroverted and cut off from like friends, family ways for me to create, to fill mm -hmm. out my world, like exploring. It did feel like I was cutting off a large part of my personality and identity and did have serious effects, which I think most of us can speak to and can identify with over the last few years. So when I saw that, mm -hmm. I was like, yes, because when we're talking about ourselves and our business, we're talking about our whole selves. Again, the belief mm -hmm. or the idea that, oh, you just kind of show up to work and just forget everything else around you. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I work from home in my tracksuit <laughs> pants. I, re I really can't separate that anymore. And I really yeah. don't think we like should. And I think it can have an effect on productivity when in the back of our mind, we're like, I shouldn't be thinking about the fight with my partner. Like, God damn it. Why is Pacey like barking at the postman again, you know, and trying to block it all <laughs> out. I think it actually has an effect on our productivity, the way we show up, like our enjoyment and alignment in business. So that is actually a topic that comes up a lot for my clients, like productivity. <laughs> How do I get stuff done in a world that's like, ever-changing and it feels like it's ever-changing plus when you know my brain and how I feel is ever-changing do you mind mm -hmm. sharing three to five tips for productivity that have perhaps worked for you or your clients yeah I mean so it's so interesting trying to think about like how do you figure out what works for you because I mean you can read all of the like blog posts about five productivity tips for ADHD brains, shameless plug. I have a blog post like that, but 
if like those tips might not work for you, even if you do have ADHD or fill in the blank, whatever the blog post is like, it's all, I wish there was a shortcut, but it's just trial and error. (laughs) And that, well, it's not just trial and error. It's trial and error while being like super meta and paying attention to yourself. That's the key that I think is missing for a lot of people who are trying to figure out what works for them. And they try a tactic, but then they're not paying attention on that meta level of like, okay, how does this feel? How am I reacting? Like, not just, am I being more productive, but like, do I feel good while being productive? Um, So for me, uh, for me, one of the keys is, and this is interesting. I was talking about being a uh, introvert, but co-working works really well for me when used sparingly. <laughs> um, so there's like, when I, I don't, I don't know what the factor is that makes it more effective or less effective on a particular day, but, um, co-working can be really, really effective for me. Um, that is actually rooted in a, um, phenomenon called body doubling, in the psychological world is what they call it. Um, and that's just the idea that having another person in the room with you makes you more productive for some reason. Um, and this isn't true of everyone, but it seems to be true of a lot of ADHD people. Um, even if they're not like working with you, they're not necessarily like helping you do the task. They're just in the room. (laughs) And, uh, for some reason, I like to think of it as like study hall in college, we'd all get together in the library and we're like not doing the same homework, but we're just at the same table. Um, so co-working works really well for me. Um, another thing is, um, paying attention to, I think this is true of everyone, regardless of neuroidentity. Um, but I think it's really important that we all pay attention to our like energy flow throughout the day. Um, like I tend to be very, and it's, it's, it's also not just like, when do you have the most energy, but when do you have the right type of energy? to do the thing that you need to do. I have the most creative fuel in the morning. So I tend to write my emails in the morning. I write my content in the morning. I do a lot of that stuff in the morning because that's what works for me. But in at like 3 p.m., my brain is scrambled eggs. And the most I can do is like tick boxes in Asana and move things around in Notion. And then I'm done for the day at 3 p.m. Like that's my rhythm. And if I get a new second wave of energy at 5 p.m., I'll like go do one last thing. But um, I think paying attention to how your energy flows throughout the day and also throughout the week, that's not a thing for me, but I know for some people like Monday feels really different than Friday. And so I know some people who are very rigid about like, this is what I do every Monday. And that's the day for that task. For me, I keep my week very fluid. I'll have like a to-do list for the week. These are the things that I mostly need to get done by the end of the week or at least by Monday. Um, and they just happen when they happen. And that's what works for me. I do not do well with really rigid structure, but there are other ADHD people who need that structure or they just won't get anything done. So it's all about that kind of checks and balance, not checks and balances, but like, I mean, this is just, I say this, it's the phrase is figuring out what works for you. And it's so it sounds trite sometimes because I say it all the time, but that is really what it comes down to. 
And I think is actually great advice. I say it all the time too. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, are people thinking I'm just throwing that out there because I don't actually know what I'm talking about or I don't truly care. <laughs> but hearing you share all of that, I'm like nodding along because there are all of the things that I consider for myself that I support all of my clients through. And, you know, the mood to task match that you mentioned, the energy is again, a identified thing that you can do for many of us. We do have certain energies and want to do tasks at certain times. Like I'm really good Mm -hmm. at the creativity in the midday or when I'm tired and then better. It's just, you know, strategy in the morning and getting stuff done, you know, mid morning, all of that kind of thing. And that can change some days, but most of the day that's pretty true. And so I know when I sit down, even if I don't want to do a task or get something done, I'm like, oh, I probably should because I know that after a certain point of the day or the week, because I'm a very weak energy person too, I've realized lately, it's just <laughs> not going to get done. Like if mm-hmm. I don't get the hard tasks done earlier in the week, they're not going to get done. I'm looking at my list this morning. I was like, yeah, well, that's not getting done until Monday because there's no way in hell I'm doing it on a Friday. And I think again, that's like fine to be with. Like if you prefer flow and I prefer structure, that's completely fine. But if Mm -hmm. everything's too structured for me as well, I start to go, this is boring. I don't want to do this. My day is just a to-do list. So I think Mm -hmm. we need to be working out, you know, what works for us and also open to change because I think for a lot of my clients and maybe your community, the same too, we put these things in place that do support us, but after a while or something changes in our lives or just a different season, they no longer service and they actually start Mm -hmm. to kind of create, um, some like issues. And I think for a lot of my clients, this comes up with content because in my opinion, there's a difference between frequency and consistency. Yet we we hear everyone. Yes. Right. I'm talking about it all the time and I need to talk about it more clearly because many podcast guests have been like, yes, like there is a difference. And so for me at the moment, I'm consistent with my message. Frequency not so much. And again, all mm-hmm. of these rules, I don't know that's something that you help your like clients and community with and is one of the things that drew me to your work, like how you're helping everyone, not just neurodiverse people, but everyone figure out their preferred creation style, like mm-hmm. what their brain needs, things like frequency versus consistency and just breaking the rules and figuring out what works for them. Because I swear to God, if one more person tells me they need to be consistent and they're not talking about the difference with consistency and messaging brand or frequency, I'm going to cry into my coffee. So can you (laughs) share some questions listeners can ask themselves like to determine what their needs are and like to figure out what they need for consistency with message, maybe frequency and kind of the differences. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, this is awesome because this is actually something that I have a free workbook about, um, called the content marketing ecosystem workbook. Um, but so I, I talk about this concept called spark and when you're tapped into your spark, it's, it's a pretty like self-explanatory concept. Like it's your inner spark. It's that thing that makes you feel alive about your business. It's your big why. Um, and when you're tapped into your spark while you're creating content, the content itself becomes more engaging. Your voice comes through and readers, listeners, viewers pick up on that and the content is engaging to them. Whereas if you're forcing yourself to create in a format that you can't stand creating in, you're not able to tap into your spark and the content 
creation process will you for you will be torture and that will come through in the content as well and it won't be engaging for the readers slash listener slash watcher and so i talk about this thing i call it spark zone so you want to whenever you're creating content you want to create in your spark zone, figure out what your spark zone is and figure out how to create the content in that way. So for me, I'm a writer. So I thrive when I'm writing an email to my list every week. Um, I am also very natural at like one-on-one or small group conversations. So for a long time at the, um, from like 2020 to late 2020 to mid 2021, I, a lot of 20s in there. Um, I was running a weekly free co-working group and it was awesome. I eventually, and this is another thing about your, the way you work and what works for you will change. And that's okay. The co-working group stopped working for me and I had to stop running it um, because it was draining my energy as opposed to fueling it the way that it had previously. Um, So that's just another example, but I wanted to, uh, I kind of considered my co-working group as part of my content ecosystem because it was how I was interacting with my audience. And I was having these actual real connections and conversations and that's absolutely content. So the co-working is an example of the spark zone being that one-on-one or small group conversation. That's where I was going with that. Um, so those were two different spark zones for me that I could very easily tap into for my content creation process. And then I was able to pull from those conversations I was having to create Instagram captions. And then I was able to take from my emails and also create Instagram captions from that. Or if an email was really responded to, or I really liked it, I could turn it into a blog post. And so like figuring out what your spark zone is and then taking the clay that you create while you're in your spark zone and repurposing it into other areas of your ecosystem is I think a really underutilized strategy for a lot of people to be able to create more content in a way that they actually enjoy and content that is engaging. Um, Another example is like, I've had clients who can't stand writing and they feel like they need to have a blog. They have to have a blog. You gotta have a blog. And I'm like, you don't have to have a blog. You need to have leadership content You need to have long form content and a library of it, but it doesn't have to be a blog. So we would talk about like, where are you most alive? So questions you can ask yourself, questions you can ask yourself to figure out what your spark zone is, could be um, when was a time where you were talking about your expertise and you were just totally in the zone and totally in the flow of the, of talking about your thing, whether that was written or in conversation or whatever. When were a few of those moments and like make a list of them. Another question you can ask is, um, I mean, that's kind of the go-to question. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely the question I ask like my clients mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, cause yeah. you, can, you can then pick apart that. It's like, well, was it because you're with friends? Was it because you were with new people? Was it because they asked you a question or were you, you know, like asking them a question and their response helped you come up with your answer? Like, I think there's all of the sort of like examples you can then pull from that. Right. Because I know for me, when I'm feeling a little drained, I'm like, can someone just tell me what they want? Like, I want to react. <laughs> 
So like a question or concern. So for me, I love that you're sharing, you know, you had the sort of co-working group because I'm often in the DMs chatting and asking questions, mm. getting feedback. And if I get feedback from clients, community, I then go create based on that. But mm-hmm. if people don't give feedback and recently people haven't been as open to feedback, you know, no one wants to fill out a poll, even if it's a cute one, you know, on Instagram and stuff, <laughs> I have had to think, well, like, how can I get this information because mm-hmm. I like being in front of people in real life and I don't mind doing things on the podcast and stuff, but I also need real life engagement and interaction because that's when I get creative. I can see the way they're responding and we have conversations mm-hmm. and I pull stuff from it. Right. And you know, these conversations with amazing guests such as yourself do fuel that for me. So it's also selfish that I'm having guests <laughs> on because it uh, really, really helps. So I think that is like, the main question because you pull stuff from that and I think if you're just sort of sitting mm-hmm. there being like oh I don't know I'm not sure then you really do need to kind of just sit there or ask a friend even sometimes ask a friend or a peer being like you know what was my best content like when have I seemed like I'm really into something and again they can feel the energy that you so rightly pointed out the spark mm-hmm. and they'll tell me when I read that post it sounded like you or when I saw you do that live you were on fire and then I go back to those and be like, what was different about mm-hmm. those, right? Mm-hmm. And I think knowing that it's okay to be like, I don't know what I'm doing and to sit down and ask yourself these questions in itself is like a core part of the strategy, right? Because a lot yeah. of the time we're not asking ourselves questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing is after you go through that process, another thing that I think is really important is asking yourself, how simple can I make it? Because I think a lot of us get caught up in when we're like planning or envisioning this new thing that we're going to do, we get caught up in making it at like the best that it can be. And that's great. But is that going to stop you from doing it at a more consistent frequency? Like more, maybe not a more consistent frequency, but at least doing it more often because with any marketing channel, whether you're sending your email weekly or just whenever you want, like me, uh, you still need to do it often, whether your frequency of what is often is weekly or biweekly or monthly is up to you, but you need to have it be simple enough that you can do it that often. And so I had a client one time who was like, well, I really like talking. And I was like, okay, great. So it sounds like, how does a podcast feel for you? Like what, how does that idea feels? And they were really they liked the idea hypothetically, but they did, they were really caught up on the production of it all. Like they didn't want to have to learn how to edit it. They didn't want to learn how to upload it and sync like all of that. And I was like, well, what if you just went live on Instagram and then save the recordings and turn that into a podcast? And they were like, Oh, Oh, and I was like, yeah, get like a halfway decent mic and just go live on Instagram every week or every other week. Like, there you go. Bam. There's your leadership content. Yeah. I'm always about making things simple as well. And I feel like if you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. So again, if you've got content, Mm -hmm. like you said, that you've got before repurposing it, putting a new package, making things simple. Something that I've been doing recently um, is like stripping back my entire business, like letting Mm -hmm. go of services. I'll be retiring a product soon. Just really getting like peeling everything back. Being like, how simple can I be? But also what is the least like amount of content I need to be producing? Like the frequency 
aspect mm-hmm. of being like, do I really need to have an email weekly or can I have it fortnightly? Do I, this podcast need to continue weekly or can it be a fortnightly thing? Mm-hmm. Like, and just ask myself all of those questions because again, when people don't want to create content or, you know, are feeling sort of let down by themselves by not creating or, you know, getting on Instagram live, you know, sharing content, having sales conversations, I often think is to do with frequency. They could just change the frequency and simplify mm-hmm. it slightly and then that would be good to go again because, yes, when you're telling yourself you need to create like a seven, you know, like graphic carousel every time you go on Instagram, oh God. who's going to want to create that or that you have to do the most fantastic reel with like great editing? Who's going to do that? The same mm-hmm. with the podcast, you know, that's why my podcasts are also really short because my clients wanted that and I wanted that. Like it takes like an hour or so just to create a five-minute podcast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keeping those kind of things in mind I think can really allow anyone, but especially I think I know from experience my neurodiverse clients, it just gives them more freedom to kind of mm-hmm. show up and be flexible and then they feel good about completing tasks. They you know, keep true to themselves and their goals, that also feels good because let's be honest, you know, when I don't post, I start to feel a little bit crappy inside. I was like, God, you said you're going to do this. And I, then I have to like, you know, pull myself out of like that spiral as well. Yes. Do you have I was just going to bring up. Sorry. Yeah, do you have any support like for like anything that you do for your clients and community to help with Perhaps some of the spiraling that we all do, but I know in particular my neurodiverse clients do because, again, of those like rule books that we talked about earlier, that they're like, mm-hmm. I'm a bad person because I didn't post for the fourth time on Instagram this week. Yeah. And that's, it's really important to talk about this kind of stuff because, like, when you grew up with undiagnosed ADHD your entire life, there is a lot of internalized shame there. And a lot, like a lot. And so what feels like for somebody who maybe doesn't have anxiety or doesn't have ADHD, not being, not being consistent in the like frequency definition of consistency that people use incorrectly, uh, and tell us all that we ought to be. If you're not being consistent, like you might beat yourself up a little bit and then get back on Instagram. But for someone who has all of this internalized shame about like, I, I can't do anything right. I can't do anything frequently. I am not cut out to be a business owner. It's so easy to go down those doom spirals because your brain is conditioned for it by the shaming that you've received your entire life. And it takes so much conscious effort to unwire that. And I, I mean, anybody who struggles with that, I would highly encourage to pursue like therapy or any kind of a coach or support around that. Um, but one, don't beat yourself up for beating yourself up (laughs) because I could see that happening for somebody. Um, it's okay that you're beating yourself up. That's your brain doing its thing because that's what it's conditioned to do. And your brain is trying to protect you from failing what it perceives as failure because of how it's been conditioned. But also you can, we have the ability to take that after you've like cried and breathed and calmed yourself down a little bit, take that step back, observe your own brain, do that like weird thing that humans can do and be like, okay, I see this and it's not 
necessarily true. And it might be true. I think it's so powerful. It probably isn't true. Right. Exactly. It probably isn't true. You've been conditioned to believe this. Another thing that I have found to be very helpful is to externalize my anxiety and depression. So I named my depression, Bob and my anxiety, Steve. And anytime I have intrusive anxiety thoughts, I say, Steve is lying to me. Steve has a question. (laughs) If I'm like feeling really unsure about something I just did or a conversation I had with my partner that I am like dwelling on in a bad way. And I'll go to him and be like, Steve has a question about that conversation we had earlier. Can we talk about it? And we do. And it's fine. And then I'm fine. But externalizing it is really helpful because then you're not, it's, you're not taking ownership of that intrusive thought. If you say Steve had this thought, because when you take ownership of, I had this thought, it feels like it's more real. But whereas if it's Steve had this thought, it's easier for you to be like, "Mm, no, that's not, that doesn't have to be true. Um, Yeah. So that's a thing that I do that is really helpful for me um, because that shame spiral can be really hard. Um, And there's a lot of new research that has come out about this kind of thing for ADHD brains of like the TPN and the DMN. Um, I will give you links to put in the show notes about this stuff. It's really fascinating. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. Um, I don't remember what those acronyms stand for, but it's really cool. (laughs) But it's something that like the, the switch between the task, the way your neurons light up for tasks, which is the TPN and the way your neurons light up when you're doing like big abstract thinking about the past or the future or imaginings are different things that switch between each other. But in ADHD brains, the switch is glitchy. And so when you're doing a task, the uh, daydreamy part of your brain tries to like butt in and take over the focus. And then that can lead to the doom spiral because that's kind of the dark side of the DMN and it's the doom spiral as well as the optimism. It's fascinating research. I will provide links. Um, But yeah, so it really does. I was so excited when I read it. Um, But yeah, so what was I going with that? Oh, so yeah, the doom spiral, it's not just an anxiety thing. It's also an ADHD thing. It's a depression thing. It's an anybody. It's an anybody thing. But people with neurodiverse brains have the barrier to the doom spiral is a lot lower, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's easier to trip into the doom spiral um, because your brain is conditioned for it. Um, And sometimes even physiologically and biologically prone to it. So when you find yourself tripping into that doom spiral, I think like validate those feelings. Absolutely. Like allow yourself to sit in the sad soup because I think it's important to complete that emotional process and then do the meta thing where you can observe your thing, your, your own brain and be like, okay, that's not necessarily true. It's probably not true. Here's all the reasons why it's not true. Like cognitive, like actually cognitively go through the process of here's why I am legit and I have expertise and I am valuable. My work has value. Remind yourself of all of those things. Like not just like actually form the sentences, say them out loud, write them down, whatever works for you. And then go to sleep. (laughs) I think for me, usually these, these moments happen at night 
when I'm tired and I should be in bed already. Uh, so I think just calm down, remind yourself of your value and go to sleep. And in the morning, you'll probably laugh at yourself in a loving way for the doom spiral. And you'll be able to see it for what it is, which is not reality. I love that. And I think that's such like a thoughtful and like compassionate advice for ourselves. And I can also see how we can help like loved ones or peers or, you know, mm-hmm. partners in business kind of do this too. Cause you're so right. This is an everything issue. We all do the doom spiral. And I think mm-hmm. as solo business owners, it can sometimes be hard to pull ourselves out of it because a partner might not understand or a friend might understand mm-hmm. what's during us. So they're like, dude, just post on Instagram or don't you like, you don't understand. Do you know what I mean? Like it can, <laughs> like they don't understand all of the stuff that's like mm-hmm. going on. So I think like, listeners write that down and take yourself through that because that's something that I do myself and has been so, so supportive, particularly on those Mm -hmm. days when I haven't had enough water eaten or haven't had enough sleep, as you said. So (laughs) I think also like know what biz, like have some biz friends that you can text at 11 PM who will remind, like, if you can't figure out what you're about, like that, if you're not able to say, yes, I have value and my work has value text have a biz friend that you can text at 11 PM and say, I'm having a doom spiral help. (laughs) Yes. I have a few of those. Uh, They're probably listening. So know that I love you. And a question (laughs) that I'm asking all business owners over the past few weeks is how they've thrown out the rule book and created a business that is like aligned, sustainable and profitable. So I would love for you to share how working with your ADHD and your anxiety has helped you to do that. Has helped me to throw out the rule book. Um, Well, one of the ways that it's helped me throw out the rule book is to figure out that the rule book is bullshit (laughs) because I did all this research and learned about ADHD and anxiety and was like, Oh, it's all, it's all the matrix. Um, So that learn, I think, learn about how, like, whatever it is that's part of your neuro identity, learn, like do some reading, learn about how it actually works because it makes such a difference because when you actually learn, as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm an introvert or, oh, I have ADHD and not doing anything with that knowledge when you're equipped with this is how ADHD works. Like I was just talking about with the TPN and the DMN. Now that I have that knowledge, I can see past examples from my own personal experience of that in play and almost forgive myself for moments where I fucked up or where I did XYZ instead, or I can see why XYZ productivity thing works better for me having that knowledge equips you so much more effectively to figure out what works for you. Because if you don't have that knowledge, you're literally just grasping in the dark. Um, I think another thing is find other neurodiverse entrepreneurs who find other neurodiverse entrepreneurs and talk about it because that can one, give you community in a way that you may not have, but two, you can actually talk about you can kind of talk shop about being a neurodiverse online entrepreneur and figure out like, oh, that works for you. I should try that. Like most of the apps I have ever found and that I use 
came from that kind of conversation. Like the only way I'm able to keep plants alive is because of an app that a fellow ADHD friend recommended to me about plant care. <laughs> like it's the only way that I have eight plants in my office right now. And I love my plants. So I'm really glad that I was able to figure that out. And I think, um, yeah. And so I think that's so important too, like surrounding yourself with others who have similar values, who like similar experiences, those kind mm-hmm. of things are really, really important because they can support you, you know, your biz besties. But I also think it's really important for other business owners who perhaps don't identify as neurodiverse to also surround themselves with neurodiverse individuals because there are so mm-hmm. many of you, like this idea that it was just a small part of the community is no longer true. And especially with our definition, you know, with anxiety, depression, you know, looking mm-hmm. at things like introvert, extrovert, all of those kind of things, we need to be surrounding ourselves with more diverse voices so we can understand each other, be more compassionate, learn from each other. And I think that's so important because so many of us in business, I feel like are in silos, maybe through choice and maybe through the app pushing them into silos, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that we can't actually, you know, take action ourselves and to surround ourselves with others. So if you wanted listeners to take away one thing about honoring the way their brain works, what would it be? I would say my one takeaway would be be kind to yourself, be be nicer to yourself. It's okay if you are having trouble posting three times a week on Instagram or if you have been struggling to email your list for a few weeks. Like it's okay. It is perfectly possible to run a business differently than the way that you're being told you have to. It is very possible to not just run your business, but to have a successful business that you run differently than the kind of universe is telling you that you have to run it a particular way. I don't know if that made sense either, but. (laughs) I know what you mean. Like you're saying you can just literally, everyone else is saying to do it this way, but you can have a successful business doing the opposite way. And I think you're Mm -hmm. perfect example of that, the way that you help your clients is a perfect example because they're going out doing their own thing. And I know so many of the guest speakers that I've had over the last few weeks have also been amazing examples of that. They figured out what's worked for them and are having Mm -hmm. really like successful both financially and just like purpose-driven businesses, right? Like you do not need to be doing the tried and tested, the like cookie cutter, like businesses that we see that are rolled out every day on yeah. the brand. Every time I see the word proven, I'm like, I'm out. No, thanks. And even if it <laughs> is proven, I'm like, yeah, but who, like who proved it? Is yeah, this yeah. by like scientific evidence and a body of people or, or is this backed by like you because you made money from it? Right. Like, is this from a double blind study or, or no? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true. I love that that's also the way that you think. And I think it's a perfect way to end this uh, episode. If it's like literally just proven by one person, that is permission in itself to go take it, (laughs) test it, tweak it and make it your own. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much for coming on to the Rachel Push-Up Show and sharing your story, insights and wisdom. I know listeners are going to take away so much from what you shared here today. Thanks so much for having me. I've had a lot of fun.